We swapped things around in the service, and I was going to be there and making simple transition, but that didn't happen. So, anyway. um, before I read the scripture reading this morning, I just want to acknowledge that I see lots of friends. The McDonald's are here. I assume it's the students serving seniors dinner that you got invitations. Uh, Hal and Aggie May, it's really great to see you, and Julie Storer. Hi, Julie. I just wanted to also announce that. Yeah. I said the McDonald's. Did you not know which McDonald's? Ah. It's Ken and Louise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but I wanted to mention that Julie and her son Gengi and his wife Neri and their two children are moving to San Francisco in soon, by the end of this month. Yeah. So we bless you on your way. We um, are so thankful that you've been a part of our family and that you'll continue to be a part of our family just on the other the left coast, as I call it. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here today, Julie, and make sure you give her a hug. Okay. So let's hear the word of the Lord. The passage today is Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. One, two. All right, sorry. Turn it off. 
So let us, let us pray before we go um, dig into the, uh, the word of God for today. Lord, um, we recognize the wonderful privilege and opportunity to be in your house praising your name. And I personally have been in this congregation for a while, but for some reason your people are singing their hearts out this morning. And uh, we give you thanks because that's an indictment that you are indeed alive in our midst. We proclaim that resurrected Christ. And we ask that the presence of your Holy Spirit, just like we uh, read in Acts chapter 2, may that presence convict our hearts in a morning like today. Speak to us, Lord. Convict us. Transform us. And allow us to see your glory as we uh, study and meditate in your word. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, that we pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, just like I said, I, I, I mean, I'm sitting right at the back of the auditorium. And I hear, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but you guys are singing your hearts out. Um, which is good. That's great. Um, then I feel a little bit more pressure to... <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, right? So... Um, Today, I, I want to present to you a passage that, if you've been in church, you've heard before. As a matter of fact, in May 20th, we, have, we had a specific day where we celebrated Pentecost, right? So, I'm actually revisiting that passage because this theme never gets old. And to be honest with you, I think we can spend 52 Sundays, years, talking about Acts chapter 2. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 2 is the reason why you and I are sitting in a place like this today. It's the reason why thousands of people, millions of people, billions of people are sitting in a place more or less like this, worshiping the resurrected Christ. So, as you know, I am a high school teacher. <laughs> and at this point in time, there's only two questions that a teacher is asking right now. When is this over? <laughs> and are you kidding me? Do I have to do this again next year? <laughs> so I don't know if you, um, we've celebrated the seniors and I celebrate you, right? But us teachers, on the other side, we're ready to, to move on. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think we teachers have a deep appreciation of what it means to be in the Valley of Gethsemane. Because we pray, Lord, if, if it's your will, please. <laughs> Jesus, I know you understand me. Uh, but I'm ready to... It's, I mean, you want me to send me a, you know, abroad? I, I'm here. Um, and then reality kicks in and say, you know, I call you to do this. May your will be done, Lord. Right? 
So I, I bring that perspective to this passage today because, honestly speaking, it's a, it's a time for reflection. And I particularly do a lot of reflections with my students, specifically with a group that I, that I love and I cherish. And those are the ELLs. Anybody knows what an ELL is? So it's on the board, too. So English language learners. And as a matter of fact, as I've taught through the years, I do a reflection with my students at the end of the year. You know, talk to me. I had the chance to see you since September. And I see, guys, in most of the cases, I see a totally different person at this point. What happened to you? And specifically, I talk to my ELLs because I, as you can notice as I speak, I'm also an ELL. And then these are the students that, if you're not familiar with this, but this, these are the students that have to build the plane as it flies. They have to work twice as much, most of the time, just to accomplish what a native speaker might do just as well, fine. So... I, through the years, I talked to them, and, and specifically this year, I, I spoke to, a, to one of my students, and I asked her, I thought you said you didn't like biology. I thought you said you didn't like science at the beginning of this year. And she looks at me and says, I still don't. <laughs> and then my question to her, so why is it that you gravitate towards this classroom? Because... Oftentimes, I have, I actually, I have to kick you out of here because this, you don't know, you're not taking biology today, but you seem to be gravitating around this classroom. Um, it's true, I still do not like your subject, but I feel like when I'm in your classroom, she's saying this in Spanish, when I'm in your classroom, although I do not like science, I feel like I belong. So language, it's not just about words. Language is never about you being able to, oh, it's about communicating, but it's not just about that. Language is something that creates kind of a bond, a link between cultures, between identities, between perceptions, between people. So Today I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 on that line. So this is a passage that usually we get to think as, you know, this is about Peter and this is about the 120 that were in a high place. And they had a powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit that compelled them to go outside of those four walls and proclaim the truth that Jesus indeed has resurrected. That he indeed was alive. That he indeed had a plan for our world and our humanity. But I want you to invite, I want to invite you to consider someone or some group, a group of people in this passage that we sometimes don't think about really hard about them. And those are the people who were the recipients of the message that the disciples were speaking, right? This passage is talking about that somehow the Holy Spirit crashed 
a party. The people who were in Jerusalem at that time were not there to praise the Holy Spirit. They were there for another reason. In a twist of things, the Spirit compels the Galileans to talk about a message within that festivity for those people who came all around the world. The passage says, Then how is it that each of us, the people who were visiting Jerusalem at that time, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Then it says, All of those places were displayed in terms of the messages that were uh, spoken at that time. And I I thank um, Jess for pronouncing all of those names. But the reality is that, according to the passage, people from all over the world were in Jerusalem at that time. And they were amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? What does it mean that the good news of the gospel are being spoken in my native language? So there's a change, you know, if I was here, started to speak Spanish... And, and say, Padre Nuestro, que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. At least the ones who understand what I'm saying. We're not expecting that a Spanish conversation was going to take place in this sanctuary. But at that moment, it's like, what are you talking about? I came to praise Lord in another language. And somehow, in a twist of events... I'm listening to the Word of God in my own native language when I was not expecting that to happen. So I'm trying to give you the context of of people who were at that point in Jerusalem trying to figure out what does this mean. So let's talk about Peter, for example. And we know the story for you if you've been in in church, but we'll, we'll revise that in a second. Peter was a person that failed his comprehensive exams three times. Not once. This is the person who did not pass his GRE three times. He did not pass the driving test three times. He utterly failed. And now we see Peter standing in front of a crowd perhaps for the first time, proclaiming that which before he was hiding and not confessing that, are you with Jesus? That was a question that it was asked to him. Are you with Jesus? And he technically said, Jesus who? And now we see a transformation in this person. And we see that he stood in front of them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Not only he has the courage to stay in front of people in a place which actually was hostile to whoever proclaimed the name of Jesus. It's the same place where Jesus was crucified. And he stays there, but not only that, He now feels the urge to interpret the word. 
a task that it was only allowed for the teachers of the law. A task that was only allowed for people who were specialists on that specific field of knowledge. And this is the Peter that, yes, failed, but now it's emboldened and now he's talking to the crowd and proclaiming that which actually he was afraid to confess a couple of days ago. So when we actually try to interpret whether or not the resurrected Christ and the Holy Spirit has captivated our hearts, then we need to look to Peter and see if that same boldness, that same courage, is the same courage we express in our workplace when somebody is depressed and you see that that person struggles and you know that you read the Bible that morning and you said that come to me, just like we read in this morning, come to me those who are tired and weary and I will give you rest. And is that one of the news that you share with those that you know that are in need? So when we examine Is this Pentecost thing real in my life? We're forced to think about Peter. And whether or not we have to come to terms and understand if that same power, that same boldness is captivating our hearts. On the other side, I got my beloved Galileans. I love this group. I feel identified with them. And these are people who, you know, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Again, Jerusalem was a hostile place. They just crucified Jesus 50 days ago. Obviously, I'm looking for, if I was the government at that time, you know, we got rid of Jesus. Let me see who else is the followers, because I also want to talk to them and see if we can squash this movement right away. So they were in Jerusalem awaiting for the promise of that Holy Spirit in closed doors. And I can imagine them. You know, these people are from the countryside, from Galilee. This is a group that are actually waiting for a promise that they did not know specifically when that promise was about to happen. They were just told, wait in Jerusalem and you will receive the power of the Spirit. So... If you think about it, we already know where the Galileans come from, right? This is the people that were told when Jesus was doing his ministry, nothing good comes out of Galilee. Are you kidding me? The Christ cannot come from this place. And much less Galileans should be the ones who are proclaiming the truth of Christ. Couldn't God choose somebody from Harvard? No, no, no. My wife works at Harvard. (laughs) But couldn't God use somebody from Newton, Massachusetts? And he had to pick somebody from Roxbury, Dorchester, JP. So this is the people that were not supposed to be carrying this task. And suddenly we know that they have a negative connotation, whatever they go. How do you turn, how do you, how do you tell whether or not the person you're talking to, if you have a room full of Jews, how do you tell that they are Galileans? I don't know. We know that Peter had an accent. And when he was saying, you know, I'm, I don't belong to, you know, 
the group of Jesus Christ, and the woman comes and says, well, but wait a second, you speak like Galileans. You speak like one of them. Apparently you have the same accent that they have. And here we go. A bunch of outcasts that did not belong in this party, the Pentecost party, they were not there for that, I now embolden, and they transition from being in close in a place just like this, walking out of that door and, start, and starting to speak the goodness of Christ to the entire community. Despite of what would happen to them. If you look at the narrative right after Pentecost, all the disciples signed their death warrant. From that moment on, it was nothing else than being persecuted, being thrown in jail, being to the point that all of them, except for John, die a violent death. This is the moment that transformed the life of these people to the point that they technically signed their death warrant. They died because of this. They were not undercover agents anymore. They became the light and the salt of the world, despite the suffering. But I want you to pay attention to the ones we don't talk about. Because I think there's a connection between them and us who are looking at this passage from 2,000 years removed from the actual scene. And these are the God-fearing Jews. And we know that at that time, it was kind of the opposite of the Galileans. You don't take a trip just to attend a party in Jerusalem if you're in Egypt. And you don't take a trip if you are in the middle of Parthia or Asia Minor. You know, I feel like going down to Jerusalem and visiting my fellow brothers and sisters. These people, at least they have some means to travel in a world where there was no airplanes, where there were not trains, and yes, there were boats, but this route, wherever you're coming from, maybe you had to travel far, far away. So these people, at least they have some sort of means to travel to Pentecost in that, at that time. However, we know that now they were staying in Jerusalem, good-fearing Jews, and from every nation under heaven. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? That's the reaction when they receive. Now God, the news of God are being expressed in my own native language. So, this is the group that will help us understand the ramifications of what the Holy Spirit might want to do in your life today. Not just as an individual, but also as a congregation. We just celebrated that we're moving forward. But now what? What does the Spirit have to talk to us? How can the Spirit enable us to carry on the task that is ahead of us? And when we think about the fact that God, through the Holy Spirit, took the time to speak in the native language of this people, we know that language is not just about words. 
Language is the entry door to cultures. Language is the entry door to our identity as a person, as a human, as a group of, you know, as, as, a, as an ethnicity, or as a member of a specific group. We know that language is a, a door, an entry door to our values, to our perceptions, to whatever we profess, to the communications we have with others. Language is the entry door to the, all the aspects that guide the humans in this world. So in a twist of events, we know that God has broken the demarcation of what we do here to what happens out there. For when the word of God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people, it's saying, I will pour out my spirit in everything that is smeared with humanity. And suddenly, that which you do at work, that which you do at, with your family, that which you do with the people you love or for a living, is no longer outside of the jurisdiction of the Spirit. God has permeated every single aspect of our humanity through our language, which is not only about words, but it's about who, the deep sense of who you are, where you came from, your perceptions, your values, your upbringing, everything about you now is permeated with that powerful spirit. So the kind of the actual inference that we can do that from that is that you now, just like these people, who eventually went back to their places after the Pentecost party was done, they went back. We don't know it as well, but we know that they convey this story to their fellow men and women, wherever they came from. And you know that that story was conveyed in their native language. It's like me going back to Puerto Rico. I'm not going to tell the story of this congregation to my people in English. I'm going to tell them in Spanish, this is what's going on at Newton Covenant Church. This is a church that's thriving, that is moving forward. But those news are going to be taught and told to them in my native language. And as you can know, not everything is translatable from one language to another. There are things that I could say in Spanish that have no translation in English. And the same thing, there are things that I've said in English that have no translation. But the Spirit has permeated my own language, my own identity, who I am and where I came from. There is no boundary between you and I because the linkage for those who believe in Christ, who, for those who confess the resurrected Christ, is that spirit that has created that bond that allows me to profess God in different ways besides English, besides my own cultural idiosyncrasy, right? So if I was to say in Spanish for those who are here, la fregaste, how do I translate? I see people laughing. How do you translate that into English? You probably say, you blew it. But it's not the same. Now when Jesus and the Holy Spirit now is working through the native language of these people, we see that that boundary is cut. God can talk to you 
whatever you are. There's no longer excusing here. He knows the Spirit searches the deepest place of your life. Things that you have not even told the people in this congregation. Things that are forming your worldview about this world. The Spirit permeates those things. But not only permeates them, it transforms it. Imagine the gospel being trans, you know, transforming the life of people in another language. When there was no scripture at that time in their language. So, how does that apply then to us as an individual and as a congregation? So, no longer we are on our own. If that's the language you speak, the Spirit has permeated that language with that culture, with those things, and can transform the life of those who abide by that sign or symbol of identity. But it gets actually more interesting. If actually this is your language, that's English, by the way, and it says, ITS, a bioinformatics tool for accurate identification of transposon insertion sites using next generation sequencing data. You know English, but you probably don't understand what that says. <laughs> but I bet you what? There are people sitting in this congregation that understand what that says. That's the language you have adopted for your profession. Guess what? The Spirit can permeate that language. And can actually, through you, who are a follower of Christ, transform what that is doing to the field of that specific field of knowledge. There's no boundaries anymore. That is the display of power. If this is your language, if this is what you work with every day, day in and day out, there's no boundaries, there is no hindrance for the Spirit to work through that language, through that field of knowledge, through those conceptions, and permeate that and transform it as well. So when the Spirit comes, this is not only about holy glory, hallelujah, but what you do in the field of politics, in the field of pedagogy, in the field of science, in the field of arts, in the fields of humanity. Now the Spirit permeates in native languages all, of, all over the human race. That is power. What you have been given is the power to go outside of these four walls, wherever you might be. You might not speak another language besides English, but you speak specific languages that are part of who you are as an academic, as a scientist, as a high school teacher. I don't know you, but that's the most powerful display, part of the pond, of power that we humans can come, come across with. If this is your language, Braille, if this is how you read, and this is how you get your information, the Spirit knows no boundaries. He 
she, it, the Spirit talks that language too. And as you go through that process of understanding what that is, He enables you just like He enabled the Galileans to be part of the process of transformation of this world in all spheres of humanity. So it's no longer about what we only do here. You've been commissioned by the same power that convicted the hearts of those God-fearing Jews to go wherever you are. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, transform the context in which God has placed you. Or you think that's a mere coincidence? You think you're a lawyer because it's a mere coincidence? You think you're an academic because it's a mere coincidence? You think you are an insurance person because it's a coincidence? Do you think you are a nurse because it's a coincidence? And how me, little me, can become the light and the salt of the world where God has placed me. You need to know that the spirit that we sometimes confine to the ecclesiastical structures of our world, he came to break those boundaries. And there is nothing in this world that is outside the jurisdiction of the spirit. Nothing. Not even your coding and CSS. There's nothing outside. But guess what? That's your language. God permeates that language. And whoever abides by that culture and by those symbols and transform that too. This is my daughter's language. She's nonverbal. Guess what? That's what I bring her here. Because there's no boundaries. No cognitive boundaries. No intellectual boundaries. The spirit permeates all of humanity. Wherever they might be found. So there's no excuse. Seniors, you're graduating. You don't even know your major. Whatever you pick. God permeates that field of knowledge too. And place you as a light in the darkness. And place you as a soul of the world. And that's the power that we confess that we see in Pentecost. So I know I've gone in a different way. But the definition of how we're, we're going to be empowered or not is whether or not we can apply the faith we express here wherever we live, in whatever we do, and the field that God has placed us. There's no more boundaries. So this is kind of a master plan, and I finish with this. This is not disconnected with the identity of the triune God that we serve. And God, we know that that covenant that was made to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and the people of Israel, we know that God was for them and for us. We know that the, in the resurrection, I mean the incarnation, the ministry of Jesus Christ, we know that God is with us, the great Emmanuel. Now with the Holy Spirit, we know through the Galileans and to Peter, people who were not capable, cognitively speaking, to do what they did. 
Intellectually speaking, we know that God is in us. But it's true that those God-fearing Jews who eventually went back to where they came from to speak the language that they spoke that you and I are sitting here today. English was not a part of the list. So how come you came to know the, the gospel in English? One of these guys, one of these persons, went back and populated your language, your linguistic conventions with what we know today as the D-O-S-P-E-L. Did I did that right? Let us think about what are the ramifications of what we, you know, May 20th, we just, one more Sunday. Without the gospel, through the power, through the power and understanding of what the Spirit wants to do in our world, I doubt we're going to find our purpose as a new congregation that has been set loose. There's something for you to do. And it starts tomorrow. 7.15, when you hit that Vertex Pharmaceutical. Where is he? They're here. Or where you go back to the classroom and have to deal with those knuckleheads that are about to get out of school. So let us meditate on the Word of God and the implications. You thought this was, you know, you would be just a consumer sitting down. You got homework to do. The homework starts tomorrow. Right there. How in the world, God, will you allow your spirit to use me as your vessel to transform where you have placed me? Now I know you can do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I know you can do it. I'm your vessel. Here I am. Use me, just like you used them. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your, for your word. Thank you for this community. We believe that where there is two or more gathered in your name, you are present. And we feel your presence in this place. And we know that in you, Lord, in the powerful manifestation of that Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, you have taken the initiative to use us in perfect people to become agents of transformation in this world. Not by our merits, not by our deeds, but by your power who permeates all of humanity, all of us, wherever we are, our context, our own uniqueness, our racial, ethnic identity, it's permeated and covered and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to serve you. And we sometimes feel like Peter, before he got this powerful manifestation, sometimes we hide, sometimes we um, do not want to 
be the light. It's easier for us sometimes to become anonymous in this society. But give us that power. That same power you gave the Galileans. That same power that later on you gave to, you gave to those fearing, God-fearing Jews who went back to their places and spoke this beautiful message of the gospel in their native languages, in their own context, in their own places where you have placed them. Give us the power that only comes from you and the humility to know that there's work that still needs to be done in our lives. Here we are before you. Make us whole with that powerful presence of your Holy Spirit in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.